Welcome to Game Over Montreal. If you're a psychopath from the East Coast staying up this late, thank you. It's uh, it's an interesting one to be covering a game that starts with an 11 p.m. start time. Thanks, TNT. But uh, let's welcome in my amazing guest, Samantha Chang. How you doing, Samantha? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. I mean, could be more sprightly, I guess you could say. But uh... So I, I actually know how you feel because... The Canucks were the Canucks, I think, went to triple or quadruple overtime with Dallas when I was going to McGill. And as a Canucks fan, I remember staying up till like three in the morning to watch that. But that was obviously a playoff game, so not not quite the same thing as this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the playoffs, you definitely got through it a little bit more. It felt it brought me back a little bit to covering the Olympics and watching the women's game and and staying up all night, which I will not be doing this time because the kids wake up and then you have to get through to your day. So it'll be interesting tomorrow morning trying to get out of bed. But uh, hey, at least we got to watch some goals. Uh, JT Miller continues to score all the time. I, did he get five points? Did he get a point on the last one there or four points tonight? I think it was four. Honestly, I lost track. He's just he's out here like pricing himself out of the market. Yeah, he's an absolute machine. And I mean, this is really not what we expected at all going into this season. Uh, yeah, it says Bo Horvat unassisted for the last one. But the last time that we had you on, it was right after the Canadians had fired everyone except for the coach. And we were like, oh, the Vancouver Canucks need to get on it. And lo and behold, it was only like a couple weeks later, I think, that the Canucks yeah. also let everyone go and then brought in Bruce Brudro and all this change. These are clearly the two teams that have brought in the most change this year. Like everybody's gone, all new management groups, all new coaching staffs. But are Vancouver fans happy right now that they're actually making a push towards the playoffs with this? Because it is miraculous, frankly, that they're in this position. Like the playoff hunt is fun, but is this what they want to be doing short term? I mean, I'm going to say most people are happy, happy in the sense that I think they're playing some of the most fun hockey that they've played in years. Like this is actually a fun team to watch right now, which is great. Um, Whether or not it's a good plan, you know, I think it's probably, it's not quite as clear cut of an answer. My tendency historically has been to say, no, they shouldn't be pushing. They're clearly not ready to contend. Um, But they're in a sweet little window right now where, they at least have the opportunity. They don't have any huge names up at the end of the season other than Brock Besser. And even then he's an RFA. So it's not, you know, it's not ideal if they make it, if you're, if you're kind of a tankist and you believe in the draft, but at the same time, it's, it's not the end of the world. If they, if they make it and go on a bit of a run just for fun. So it's, it's kind of a nice spot to be in for once. Yeah, and I feel like having them go on a bit of a run in the first year of both Pedersen and Quinn Hughes extensions kind of gives them something to put in the back of those players' minds, right? That yeah. like especially Pedersen who signed shorter term, he clearly wants the Canucks to be competitive right away. So it's one of those things where like, yeah, maybe next year you won't be able to sustain the success, but 
I don't know, maybe they will. I look at the Canucks forward group, and I know that uh, JT Miller is the hot name on the market uh, for the trade deadline. But as the Canucks get closer and closer to a playoff spot, I'm not sure he gets traded now. And I know that the Canucks are in a like some trouble with the cap going into next summer. And like that Ekman Larson deal, as much as I love Connor Garland, is a is a tough one. It's a real tough one. And the Tyler Myers one might be even worse. Yep. What's the view from your guys' perspective on like what this what can this team be? Is it a team that they need to overhaul the defense completely and and gut things out and try to keep this forward core together? Or is there going to be a lot more flux over the next couple seasons than we expect? That's my three month old protesting. Um, it is basically JT Miller is kind of like the hot topic right now as to whether or not you keep him. And like you said, their biggest issue is the cap space. Um, and that's, that's, he's kind of, he's kind of the quintessential conundrum they've had over the last few seasons, right? It's like a guy who's really good right now, who's going to demand a big contract. He'll be worth that for the first few years, but it's kind of the tail end of that contract when he's in his like mid to late thirties, where it's like, did we really need to do this? And they're not, in my view, they're not at the point where they're close enough to being contenders that you spring for that contract right now. Whereas like, you know, if they, if they were the Colorado avalanche, that's the type of push I'd be making right now. But I think where they've unfortunately been for the last few years is they keep, they keep paying players as if they're contending, but they aren't. Um, and as to your other question, whether or not that, whether that blue line needs to be blown up. I, I, yes. <laughs> I mean, you just, that's absolutely the weakest part of this team. Like other than Quinn Hughes, there isn't really anyone who's that good like sure Ekman Larson has probably been better than expected but he still hasn't objectively been that good you've got Hamnick you've got Myers like and you're paying all of these guys a lot of money and the funniest part about about the trade discussions right now is Canucks fans want to keep every player value you want to keep JT Miller you want to keep Brock Besser you want to keep all your assets and they're like oh let's trade Tucker Pullman but Who's taking Tucker Pullman at $2.5 million for four years? I still can't believe that contract got signed. I can't believe he didn't get fired after signing that contract. <laughs> well, I guess he did. It just took well, a little yeah. bit of a while, <laughs> little bit of time. I mean, it, the fact that it was approved and went up the chain, like even the moment that was signed, because like I've been doing some stuff on the Jets, uh, I guess a couple years prior, and just keeping an eye on them even after I, I left that job. It's hard to believe Tucker Pullman got a contract at all, let alone a bit of term and over the minimum amount. Like he's just, he's not there. You know, it, it's yeah. just, it, it makes no sense. And that's not the first time that uh, Benning and his cohorts pulled a move like that on defense. I mean, specifically not the first time they signed a jet that was yeah. not very good. Yeah. Straff. Yeah, it's it's a weird one uh, from the Canadians perspective. I think it's pretty clear that this game, if you look at the the underlying numbers, what it was a lot more of a bloodbath than it looks at the end on paper. Yeah. It was 
absolute dominance by the Vancouver Canucks, especially as you cut finer into like the higher danger chances. And I'm sure that if you were able to look into the passing, it would get even worse because the Vancouver Canucks were just zipping the puck, you know, low to high through the middle all game long. And Sam Montembeau was sensational tonight. It's yeah, weird to think that a, a minute. Yeah. A guy that gave up four goals might've had the best game of his career, but he was fantastic tonight. Yeah. I was thinking he had, he had kind of, what I think of as a quintessential Canucks game from the last few seasons where the team in front of him is really not very good. And then you've got a Jacob Markstrom or a Thatcher Demko just really standing on his head and keep giving them a chance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Canadians game over the last, uh, I mean, couple decades, basically <laughs> it's been, it's been a while since the Canadians have been much more than a hot goaltender keeping them in it. But uh, I mean, they've had some teams in that stretch that were, relatively strong and could have developed into cup contenders, but they never evolved past it because of various things holding them back, whether it was coaching or bad management or bad trades at bad times. But yeah, I feel like that's a very Canadian team problem outside of Toronto, right? Is they just get a good goalie. I mean, I guess outside of Edmonton too and hang on for dear life. Edmonton just Edmonton and Toronto like to hang on to the good forwards and do nothing defensively, but yeah. Yeah. Funny how the Canadian teams just like refuse to evolve, but we're getting there. It seems like the Maple Leafs have gotten there at least close. The Canadians are moving toward in the right direction here with their new management, the Canucks now as well. I feel like the Canucks, as much as I like what the Canadians are doing, they're actually like backing up their words with the whole yeah. hiring people that aren't just white dudes. Now, the only white women, but uh, eventually, I feel like the Maybe Canucks are closer to getting towards diversity than most other NHL teams now. Yeah, it was... I was very, very pleasantly surprised to see them hire Rachel Derry, Emily Cassingay, and Cami Granato. Like, you know, we, we joke all the time, like, you can hire more than one woman, but, like, I wasn't actually sure if they knew that. And to see them grab kind of three of the best names out there is was pretty impressive. Yeah, I remember specifically because I tried to talk to Emily around the time that Mark Bergevin was fired and there was rumors that she was going to be interviewed for the Montreal job. And I was like, hey, would you want to like come on a show and talk about uh, managing a team or like working in management? And she was like, no, I I cannot comment on that at all. So I thought for sure that the Canadians were going to be hiring her. And then it was the Canucks who swooped in first. And apparently she didn't even get an interview with Montreal. So, and again with Rachel, like I was talking to people behind the scenes and like, Oh, Rachel put in a CV with the Montreal Canadians. Maybe they'll interview her. And again, Vancouver swoops in and I was like, Vancouver going to hire everyone. <laughs> Apparently. I yeah. mean, Cammy Granato is the biggest, I, I mean, like Rachel and Emily are both fantastic, but like Cammy Granato is a legend. Like I Absolutely. was so excited when that happened. Yeah. That's a huge one. And you know, she gets to stay close to home as well. Yeah. Or I guess close to Ray's home. They live in Vancouver, correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So that's ideal situation for everyone. I feel like that's one of the cool things about, these two teams now is the last time that we talked on this show. Anyway, they seemed very hopeless. And now no matter if it's, you know, the Canucks making a last minute push to the playoffs or the Canadians kind of just playing, not terrible. 
it seems like both these fan bases are rejuvenated in a way that they haven't been in a long time. Uh, I mean, Canucks Twitter is always fun, but usually very vicious for good reason. Or, and Canadians Twitter is kind of the same way, but uh, in two languages. And both seem relatively harmonious right now. Yeah, I agree. There's just, I just think regardless of what happens when you get this kind of change, there's always at least some like change for the sake of change. Sometimes when it's, when you've been stagnant for that long, it just, it gives you a little injection of hope. Even if you, I think even for the biggest realists, it's just like, okay, there's some, somebody new there. Maybe this will be different. Yeah. Like but a change in structure of thought. Something it, it shakes things up. You hope that somebody progressive will make some moves that aren't terrible right from the start. Yeah, yeah. The bar is very low for Canadian teams. There's, you know, it, at least it's not the same person who made the mess. Like there's somebody yeah. coming in who might be able to clean it up. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's always the cleanup that has to happen first. Yeah. You can't just yeah build on top of it. But I feel like Vancouver is. Outside of that defense, like very close. Like I was talking yeah. on uh, my other show that I do with Mary Clark, uh, the cross check NHL show. And we were just looking at Vancouver's roster. And I was like, you know, if they had a league average defensive core for league average money, this team would be something. Oh, yeah. might not be, you know, top 10 in the league, but I feel like they'd be a team that could be scaring teams. And you look at yeah. them offensively, just the last stretch here or frankly, since Bruce Boudreaux took over, they are a team that can stick around with other teams because of that offensive power. Yeah. And it's really helped that Pedersen's like found his game in the last couple of months. Big time. Yeah. All right. I do want to mention, uh, Arturi Lekkinen as well, because I posted that gif and Jay Barish, I'll made fun of me for it, but uh, he should blame Moen and glory. The famous Habs giffer on Twitter. Cause he's the one who made that back when Arturi Lekkinen was a rookie. Uh, he made that because when the Canadians were drafting that year, uh, they, I think that was, that was the year they took Mike McCarron in the first round and they had three second round picks. And the, I was livid as a fan when they took Mike McCarron, I think they traded up for him as well. Cause he just was not an NHLer, like clearly wasn't going to be a big impact player. And, then the next one, I was like, just don't take Zach Vukali. That's the it's the biggest trap in the whole draft was this goalie who had terrible numbers, but played on the best team in the queue and continued to win things. And they were like, Zach Vukali. And then right after that, they hit, took another defense first forward and Jacob De La Rose. And I was like, just with your last pick, please pick Arturio Lekin. He's the best guy remaining in the draft. And I like I have that tweet still up. And they took him. So I was always like number one Arturi Lekin fan because he's my one guy to hang on to from that draft. Two goals tonight remains red hot. And one of those guys who is on like the top of a lot of teams lists, I think at the trade deadline, not JT Miller level, but to me, he could bring back the kind of return that Blake Coleman brought last year. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably a much more reasonable trade to get done than whatever the Canucks are going to be asking for at this point. Like, I, I think that they were already on the fence about trading JT Miller. And I think with the way he's been performing, they're going to be asking for a lot. And I don't know how many teams are going to be willing to give that up. Yeah. And Lekkonen's getting hot at the right time here as well. Uh, 
last five games, he has, let's see, six goals wow. and two assists. Pretty good for a guy playing 14 minutes a night. Yeah. And not much on the power play. So, Arturi Lekkinen, absolutely crushing it. A quick question. Will St. Louis be their coach for next season or no? He's absolutely going to be the coach for next season. My understanding from everything that I've heard was that when St. Louis was brought in, he was given the interim tag because it just looked better in the moment to hire a person interim who doesn't have any head coaching experience at anything close to a professional level. And if he acquitted himself even moderately well, then he would be back next season and will probably sign a big extension. Very clearly he's acquitted himself a little bit more than just a little well, because this team has gone from being completely hopeless, disorganized and terrible to respectable and winning regularly. And they need one more win to, I believe, tie the entire amount of wins that they had under Ducharme for the first half of the season. So lots of uh, lots of positives for St. Louis. Um, tonight, they looked like the old Dom Ducharme Habs, unfortunately. But I have to say, I respect the fact that they didn't wake up for an 11.30 or 11 p.m. start. Yeah, I don't that's, think a, any... that's a tough time change. It is a tough time change. I mean, they had a couple days to adjust. They had their rookie dinner, I think, two days ago in Vancouver. So they not too much of an excuse. I think they've been in town since like Saturday night after they beat okay. the Oilers. They flew in. But I kind of respect being lazy for this one. Like if you're going to blow a game, at least blow it for yeah. for a team that's uh, trying to make the playoffs to another team that blew it up. This is an all right one to lose. I think this makes the West so much more fun, too. Oh, absolutely. The West has been way more interesting than I thought it would be. Like there are so many teams that I thought would be absolute garbage who are putting on a good show. And then there are teams like the Oilers who I thought might actually pull it together this season who have continued to be garbage. So. Yeah. And I mean, now the Canucks are only two points back of the Oilers. They have the same number of games played. Yeah. And if you look at who's been hotter lately, like it could flip this week. Yeah. Like that's. That's incredible, considering where we so were funny. a couple months ago. It would be absolutely hilarious. I mean, I guess they've also got to pass uh, Nashville or Dallas. Or the other one that I think is a dark horse to possibly miss is Minnesota, who are yeah. absolutely falling apart while Cam Talbot has lost his game. Yeah, and I think the Canucks have, I think they have three more games against Vegas and two more games against Dallas. So it's really they really kind of hold their own fate in their hands right now, which is maybe the first time that they've been able to do that in a few years. Yeah. I was going to ask what's the impression so far of Bruce Boudreaux, but I think the, uh, the crowd chants every game Bruce say pretty much everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to not like him. First of all, like the style of play is a lot of fun and he's just, he's hilarious. Like he, he gives great zingers in his press conferences. It's he's, a pretty good fit for this market right now. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people don't like Bruce Boudreaux for whatever reason. I think they stick too much to like the playoff record because obviously he hasn't had a ton of playoff success. I think he's only got like one single game seven win in his entire coaching career. But at the same time, like how representative of that it uh, representative of him is that 
on his coaching. Like, I'm just not sure. Like, yeah. is he a bad playoff coach? Because he's such a great rec- regular season coach. We can go through his entire career and all of his teams perform in- incredibly well. Uh, the only time that his teams ever performed, I think below average or like based on their roster from what Michael Blake McCurdy was posting was I think his last year in, it was either Anaheim or Minnesota. Whereas like he had a half year where they just didn't really do it. And like, Sometimes coaches lose the room. Eventually it happens to all of them, right? Like it is a non-permanent position, but he is a fantastic coach. And I, I think that when Vancouver hired him, I was confused at first because I was like, are they trying to make the playoffs? But now that they're actually in it and it, it kind of looks awesome. Yeah, it really does. He's uh he's fun. I, I love that he is so animated too. Like there's just very few coaches that get as into it as Bruce Boudreaux. And he also has like the famous gifts that go along with him, the the darn, which gets used just, all the he's time. He's good at laughing at himself, which I think is important in this market. hundred percent. Like the sense of humor that he has. I see him like all the time he's appearing on like Vancouver radio. Like how often do coaches do radio interviews? Yeah. Just totally different. It's it's wild. He's a fun guy. All right. Uh, what else was there that I had? Oh, uh, I did want to say I'm so frustrated with Joel UL Armia. <laughs> 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 My God, watching this guy, it was almost like I actually think he played decently well tonight, but it's almost more frustrating when he does things well because you know it's going to end in a turnover in the end anyway. <laughs> There was like four or five times tonight where he'd like make a deke and go, oh, okay, maybe you'll do something. And it's like a shot into a shin pad or a pass right to a Vancouver Canucks skate or stick as well. Like the turnovers, it's just, man, that guy is on the struggle bus so hard. I know everybody's all over Petrie for the getting stripped by, was it? Yeah, it was JT Miller. Yeah. But our army is the guy that I look at and I'm just... Can't do it anymore. I don't know what they're going to do with him, but I have a feeling it's going to end out end up in a buyout because he's a he's better than this, but nobody's going to want to buy on that. Yeah. At least they have they can just sit on it until next year. But I don't even know if you want to bring him back next year. That's how bad it is. I had him on my fantasy team to start the season, so I oh no, I feel this. <laughs> I feel your pain. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. Like, there was a lot of talk over the last little stretch for uh, Rem Pitlick as well. And he's the kind of guy he scored tonight off that beautiful pass by Cole Caulfield. But I look at Rem Pitlick and the buzz that he's getting, and I see danger because I look at the big fat contracts the Canadians keep are the last era of Canadians management handed out to fourth line players or players that can like gust up to the third line during an injury, the army is the Paul Byron's, etc. And I see Rem Pitlick as Paul Byron 2.0. And if the Canadians see that as well, they need to recognize that Paul Byron on his current contract is not a value player on his last contract. He was. Yeah. So that's like, you got to make sure that these guys, you, you get them while they're good. And then as they age out, you're like, all right, easy to say bye to. I feel like that's one of the biggest mistakes in hockey is falling in love with a lower tier player and giving them too much term. 
Oh, absolutely. And the Canucks are, I think, kind of in that position with Tyler Mott, who's probably better than than Armia and a lot of third and fourth liners. Um, and he's probably their best penalty killer, but he's due, I think, for a bigger contract than he's got right now. And I'm a huge Tyler Mott fan, especially as a person. Um, but that's one of those dangerous ones where it would be very easy to veer into an overpay. Yeah. And something the Canucks desperately need to stay away from with their history of overpaying yeah. large yeah. players as well. I mean, that whole Erickson, uh, and, uh, I mean, the Erickson one is, is tough. And I know that, like, that's where the Ekman Larson trade kind of happened from is moving a bunch of players that were overpaid in that deal. The Louis Erickson one, I know people get on it because he's been terrible, but all the underlying numbers at the time of that signing were fine. You know, like you everything know. pointed to him not dropping off so precipitously. And maybe what we all should have looked at was what were his line mates in Boston and how much of that was yeah. what created his offensive explosion there. Because man, that that's probably the most wrong I've ever been about a contract that was signed in July. Were. I think a lot of people were wrong about that one, but you know, if you want to talk about overpaid fourth lines, the Canucks at one point, I think had 12 and a half million on their fourth line with Beagle, Erickson and Russell. So. Yeah, it's, you can't, you can't win like that. You just, you can't in, in the modern league, it's not possible. Um, if the Canucks fall out of it, I know that there's a lot of people who want to keep JT Miller. You can keep him for ne for next year anyway. Like there's not an expiry date on that contract. Yeah. Do you think they would be moving? Like there's a lot of rumors out there of the possibility of moving Brock Besser and Connor Garland. What do you think is the more likely scenario there? I think there's always been a lot of rumors that they're shopping Besser. That seems to be uh, for in my view, the most likely person to move. I think he's 25. He's got he's got some upside still, but he's a player who, you know, you look at him and you think how, how much better is he going to get than he has been in the last three or four years? Um, he's, he's good enough that there's promise there, but that $7.5 million qualifying offer is just going to be so hard for them to swallow. And I, I appreciate they don't have to give him that. They could negotiate a lower price. If I'm him, I'm not taking that. Like there are connects fans out here who are like, Oh, well, you don't have to offer him the qualifying offer. Like you could negotiate a longer term deal for a lower price. I was like, his agent didn't ask for that qualifying offer just for funsies. Like there's a reason yeah. that it's a qualifying offer. So if you can get a good return for him at this point from a team who could use his scoring, I think, I think you got to do it because that, that price tag is, is a lot for a player who is probably not going to produce at that rate. Yeah. And I, if I'm mistaken, like you can correct me, but Besser's kind of like a all offense guy, correct? Like he doesn't really bring yeah. much on the other side of the puck. Yeah. And when you're getting into like the seven million dollar range, it becomes more difficult to justify that, especially when you have other players that can bring it on both sides. Like I was, kind of, I'm kind of shocked to see Connor Garland's name out there because I know that there's cap trouble to to be dealt with, and like sometimes in order to do that, you you move good players and they would get a fantastic return for him. I think 
But I look at him and man, I think he's an undervalued contract as well. Like he's probably a five and a half to six million dollar player, and he's been great. Like I know he's been he hasn't been as hot as he was at the beginning of the year for Vancouver, but I think Connor Garland's a great player. He's been remarkably better than I thought he would be when he came over, and he was clearly the better part of that deal. Um, but he's been an absolute delight to watch and he's, you know, he's become really a fan favorite here. Um, even though he's, he has slowed down a bit, but I wouldn't be, I'm not surprised that other teams are interested in him. He's put on a really good show since he's been here. Yeah. He's been great. And also in my favorite, uh, NHL TikTok of the year this year, I don't know if you saw it, but the, him like camped out all crouched down and they did like the, don't be suspicious yeah. down. Fantastic. Yeah. There's a question here from a LA Kings fan saying, uh, where was it here? Uh, checking in on Kale Clegg. Has he been any, any good? He didn't look great tonight. I liked the idea of claiming Clegg on waivers. You can see like the, through like draft pedigree and his junior pedigree, there's possibly something there, but nothing has clicked in my opinion, in Montreal. And I think that uh, it it just isn't working. I wouldn't be surprised if the Canadians tried to figure things out with him for one more year, maybe, but I, I don't think that that's working out. I think that they're just, they've played him a lot. They put him in a lot of different situations. There are times where he looks pretty dynamic offensively, but he's not, he's not been very good. I see some people talking about uh, Montembeau in the comments as well, saying that uh, he's not actually that good. I mean, he's not as good as he showed tonight overall. I, I think he's been really, really good since like the calendar turned to J- to 2022. He had a little stretch where he was playing despite being injured, and he was letting in a lot at that point. But outside of that, I think he's been really, really solid. His fundamentals are a little bit, you know, messy. Uh, for for a starting goaltender, I don't think he is a start like a potential starting goaltender. I think he's a guy that you look at as a potential backup once the Canadians move Jake Allen. And you know, I don't know what their plan is because we don't know what price is going to be going forward. We don't know if he's going to ever play again. We don't know if he'll be back this year. We don't know if he'll be back and not be good. There's so much in the air for the Canadians from a goaltending perspective that. Uh, it's it's crazy. Uh, Jake Allen is a starter on most teams. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think Jake Allen's a good goaltender, but me, yeah, somebody says Jake Allen's a starter in Edmonton. Yeah, probably. Maybe in Toronto right now. While well, Jake Ca- Jack Campbell's terrible, but not very many. I don't know Definitely about uh, Edmonton though. <laughs> yeah, I mean Edmonton. The the bar is not high. You know, same as Toronto. I think Toronto actually has uh, like the fourth worst save percentage in the league since December. Jack Campbell has just been on a precipitous fall off. It's been remarkable to watch. Reminding me of that Leafs fan tweet where uh, they compared him to Demko. Yes. My favorite tweet of the week. Yeah. Because they were saying that people compared JT Miller to Austin Matthews. Like literally no one did that. Yeah. No one. No one. Like, I am extremely on Canucks Twitter. I have never seen anyone make that argument. Uh, Leafs fans are having a normal one this year. I mean, I think last year's playoffs really shattered everything for them because 
they all expected to finally win that first round against Montreal. A so bad had team. An Amazon series. Yeah. And side note, that Amazon series would have been so much more interesting if they were following the Montreal Canadiens that year, going on that miracle run. Yeah. Unfortunate for Toronto that they let them in to just watch another failure. Uh, hey, Berkey, do you think Montreal is going to try to get Maxime Comtois? I would not be surprised if they tried. I don't think the Ducks want to trade him, though. Like, everything that I read about him is that he's, like, really awesome and having a terrible year. So his value is at its lowest possible. Like, a terrible year only in terms of scoring numbers. I just, it would be kind of shocking that the Ducks would want to move on from him because he's a young player who they have control over. Um Let's see what else we got here. I feel like the JT Miller versus Matthews comparisons are angry fans pre-arguing. Like making an argument before a comparison's actually made. Yeah. Sounds like it. Do you think the Canucks are able to climb back into a wild card spot? I mean, they're not far out. Yeah. Let's see. What are they? Four weeks ago, I would have said absolutely not. And now, you know, I'm like, I'm a pretty pragmatic, cynical person and I think they there's a shot. They could do yep. it. They're three points behind Dallas, four points behind Nashville, and both Dallas and Nashville have two games in hand. So it's an uphill battle. But Nashville is only four and six in their last ten, and they've won two. They're in like a, row. a they're like a UC Saros poor like a couple of poor UC Saros performances away from catching the Preds. Yeah. Even Vegas is only at sixty eight points. Like there's there's room here. The West is absolutely yeah. wild. The East is completely locked up. That's what's so funny is the East, the gap between Washington in the second wildcard spot and Columbus just outside it is 13 points. Like un unimaginable to change that at this point in time. But in the West, there's like six teams separated by five points. That's awesome. It's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun. All right, I'm ready to go to bed. <laughs> and I know that uh, Sam's young baby probably wants some attention from mom. So we're going to we're going to wrap it up here. Maybe where my my husband is like, please take this baby. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I remember those days, it, yeah. but it passes so fast. And, you know, it's it's weird because at a certain point they stop wanting to be on you all the time and you just want like more snuggles. So take advantage of every single second of snuggles that you can, Sam. I absolutely will. All right. Before we wrap it up, why don't you uh, tell everybody where they can find your stuff? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at SamanthaCP underscore, and I am on the broadcast, which is at broadcast pod and also on Yahoo Zone Time. Awesome. All great things that you should subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts or get your Twitters, I guess, whatever Twitter app you use. Uh, we'll be back on Saturday for a regularly timed game. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining me on this late one. We'll see you on Saturday.